The title of my message is Blessed to be a Blessing. And uh, how many of you know you have to be blessed in order to be a blessing? And part of being blessed is recognizing that we are. You know, I think so often we're in a position where we're trying to obtain something. But I think oftentimes that which we're trying to get, what we're trying to receive, is something that we already have because of the completed works of Jesus. You know, <clears throat> there's a difference between the Old Testament Abrahamic covenant and the New Testament or the New Covenant of grace. There's a difference between that old and and that new, and it's, it's in receiving the promises. You know, isn't it interesting that with Abraham, under the Abrahamic covenant, um, Abraham and his descendants received the blessing because of the bloodline. Because they were ancestors of Abraham. You go back and, and again, if you read through the Bible as I do, you're reading through the book of Genesis right now and you're, if you're reading at the same pace that I am, you're getting to Abraham right now. But it's an interesting thing when you look at Abraham, Abram, he wasn't a perfect individual. He messed up. You know, and if you read the reading I read today, you read how Abraham, because of fear, because they went to Egypt, he told Sarah's wife to not tell anybody that he is his wife, that, he was, that she was his sister. He lied about it. And the reason he lied about it was because of fear. But you know, we look at Abraham and, and we see this blessed life. But he was blessed because of the promise, not because of something that he did. Now it's interesting, when we get to the new covenant and the covenant of grace that we have with Jesus, once again, it isn't, it isn't based upon Anything that we do is based upon the bloodline. The bloodline in Christ Jesus. The bloodline that because we're in Him. And so that's what I want us to see today. Is I want us to first of all recognize that Abraham was blessed because of the promise. And those that were of his family were blessed because of the promise. Remember what Jesus said about the woman with, I think it was the woman, it wasn't the woman with the issue of blood, which one was it? One, one of the women said, does she not deserve to receive her healing because she's a descendant of Abraham? Daughter of Abraham? And so the promise came, the Abrahamic promise came because of Abraham. Because of the promise that was given to him. Now, in the New Covenant, 
we have a new promise. And that promise is through Jesus. And once again, it isn't because of what we do. It's because of what Jesus has done and because of the promise that's been given to us. And this is where it comes back to we've got to recognize that we're blessed in order to be a blessing. You know, we're, we're really here taking up space and sucking air for one reason. And that's to represent Christ. It's to represent Jesus. It's to be his witnesses here on the earth. And that isn't because we're all in a ministry position. It's because we're Christians. And because we're Christians, we're all called to the ministry. We're called to the ministry of reconciliation. And what that means is because we're blessed, we're able to reveal to others the blessing that is available to them, that they're able to walk in that same blessing that you and I walk in. But you know what? If I don't realize it, if I don't recognize, if I don't know that I'm blessed, how am I ever going to be a blessing to anybody else? And so if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians in the 11th verse, second chapter, the 11th verse. You know, it's, it's faith that marks the difference between the law and the new covenant of grace. We're not under the law any longer because we have grace. Under the law, you did what you did because you had to do it. <coughs> Under grace, we do what we do because of the love of God. Because of what Jesus has already done in our life. Realistically speaking, if, a, if an individual is under the law and they abide by a bunch of rules and regulations, us being under Christ, being under the, the covenant of grace, basically we do the same thing. But we do it for a different reason. I don't do it because I have to, because I'm trying to earn something. I do it because of what I have, and I do it out of a manifestation of love for my Savior who gave his life for me. And so it's, it's, the motivation is totally different. Under the law, we did it because we have to, had to. Under the new covenant, the covenant of grace, we do it out of faith. We do it because we believe that Jesus accomplished exactly what the Bible says that Jesus accomplished for each and every one of us. <clears throat> you know, some people would call me old school. And so if what I believe is old school and what they believe is new school, I hope I never get new. I want to stay old school. I want the gospel of Jesus Christ to remain simple. I want the gospel of Jesus Christ to remain central to my life. That is the foundation of everything that we, we build upon, whether it be my personal life or whether it be the church, that everything that we build upon is that, that good news that Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus is resurrected from the dead. 
and Jesus is coming back for you and I. That's, that's the central truth that everything must be established upon and it's established upon the word of God. But here in Ephesians, the second chapter, the 11th verse, it says, <clears throat> Therefore, remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision, by that which is called circumcision, not of the flesh, uh, made in the flesh by hand. And so, you know, he's talking here to the Gentiles and said, you are an entitled because you weren't of the circumcision, because you weren't under the law. You didn't abide by the law. But then it goes on and says that at that time, you were without Christ. When we were trying to do it according to the law, we were without Christ. Being alien, aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. So here he's not talking about the Abrahamic covenant. He's talking about the law. And we were alien from the law because we're not, we weren't of the Jewish race. We weren't of Israel. The law wasn't given to us. And so it was before Christ. And so because it was still of the law, we were alienated from him. Strangers from the covenant, we were strangers. We weren't aware, we, we weren't informed. We were strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. That's where so many people are today. They're without hope. And they're without God. Because the problem is, is without God, there is no hope. There's things that people call hope. But what really what they're calling hope is a wishing and a hoping. Our hope isn't as in our teachings we thought, hope is hoping for something. Hope is knowing something. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. What do we hope for? We hope for the manifestation of the promises of God in our life. And it isn't a wishing and a hoping. It's a believing for the manifestation of it in our life because God promised it to us. That's where our hope lies. It lies in the promise. It lies in the assurance that God is true to his word. You know, we have a hope of heaven. I can venture to say that nobody in this room here this morning has experienced heaven. Now we've experienced the degree of it, heaven on earth, but we've not experienced heaven. And we won't until either Jesus comes and he receives us in the air and we all go to be with him, or we return to dirt from which we came. And the moment we draw our last breath, we're immediately in the presence of God, that's our hope. Now, it's not a wishing and a hoping. I know that when I suck my last breath of air, I'm going to be immediately in the presence of God. And so it's a hope with an assurance. 
The reason it's still hope is because I haven't experienced it yet. And that's how it's to be with every one of the promises of God. If you've not experienced them yet, the hope is still there. Because the promise is there. There's the expectation of it in our lives. And what the world wants to say is there is no hope. The Abrahamic covenant was unconditional. It was based on Abraham's bloodline. Think about that. Abraham's covenant was unconditional because you were a child of Abraham, you were blessed as a result of that. The only thing necessary to qualify for God's blessing was to be a descendant of Abraham. The covenant, the Abrahamic covenant, the Abrahamic covenant was a shadow of the new covenant of grace. And so, again, the promises of God, the new covenant of grace, as believers, because we've entered into the bloodline, because we've been immersed, we've been baptized into Christ, because we've received him as our Lord and Savior and been born again into his family, the promises to you and I are unconditional. The condition is that we don't always believe it. But the condition isn't on his part. The condition is always on our part because we don't believe. And because we don't believe, you know, people always come in and they say, well, you know, what about James? James says, faith without works is dead. And so there's the condition. Well, <clears throat> the condition isn't on God's part. The condition is on our part. And the condition is that if I believe it, I'm going to act accordingly. If I believe it, I'm going to act accordingly. New King James, or I mean New American Standard, says faith without corresponding action is dead. And what it's simply saying is, I can say that I believe something, but if I don't ever act upon it, I don't really believe it. Somebody can share the good news with me. They can say that you need to be born again, and I can, I can verbalize, well, I believe that. But you know what? If I don't ever act upon that, even though that promise is made available to me, and the only condition is that I believe it and do what the Word says, which is believe in my heart and confess with my mouth, you know what? Even though unconditionally it's already done, I haven't entered into it. And that's how it is with the promises. We, we enter into it. We receive what He's made available to us. In Galatians, the third chapter, you know, really what we're talking about is making a positive response to the promises that have been made available to us. And how do we do that if we're not aware that they're there? We haven't come to that place to know what Jesus has done for us because in him we find hope. In Galatians, the third chapter, Galatians, the third chapter, in the 13th verse, 
It says Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. What's he redeemed us from? The curse. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. In other words, he was our substitute. For it is written, curses everyone that hangs on the tree. And so why? That the blessings of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. How do we receive the promise? Through faith. But notice, we're redeemed from the, the curse of the law. Notice it does not say the curse of Abraham. Do you know why? Because Abraham wasn't cursed. In the Abrahamic covenant, all we have is a blessing. There is no curse under the Abrahamic covenant. And so it says that we've been redeemed from the curse of the law. What's the curse of the law? Of the law? Deuteronomy 28, beginning at the 15th verse, we read to the end, and you see what the curse is. It's sickness, it's disease, it's poverty. It's losing everything that's dear to you. That's the curse. That the blessings of Abraham might come upon you. The first 15 verses of Deuteronomy 28, we see what the blessings are. More than enough. Yes. Abundance. Yes. Every need being You know, <clears throat> I used to struggle with that. Because I'd read those first 15 verses and all that it talked about was how we're the head and not the tail, we're above and not beneath, all this, this good stuff. But you know what? It didn't say anything about you being healed. Didn't say anything about relationships being restored. Didn't say anything about that in the first 15 verses. But then I began to realize something. All of those things are part of the curse. So if you re remove the curse, and if sickness and disease is of the curse, if you remove the curse of sickness, what do you have left? Health. You remove poverty, what do you have left? All your needs being met. But the first 15 verses, what it's talking about, is he wants to take you beyond that. Why? Because if all I, have, I, all I have is my needs being met, I don't have enough to help you in your time of need. But if I have above and beyond, then in your time of need or somebody else's time of need, I have something to help them with. Isn't God miraculous? Oh, yeah. I mean, he, he's, he's got it all figured out. Yeah, <laughs> Guess what? Nothing, nothing has caught him by surprise. The problem is, is we think we've got it figured out. And we think we've got it figured out our way. And all our way does is take it away from his way. Take us away from his way. He knows what he's doing. The principles that he's given to us here in these scriptures, it's not just simply to fill up a bunch of pages so that we might be aware of what he's done, what he's accomplished for each and every one of us. But then we read on in verse 16, still in Galatians, the third chapter. In the 16th verse it says, Now to Abraham and his Seed. Now I want, you to, I want you to recognize something. It doesn't say 
seeds. It says seed. Singular. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. To Abraham and his seed, not seeds, his seed, the promise was made. He does not say, and to seeds, as to many, but as to one, and to your seed, who is Christ. And so, in a sense, the bloodline of us being in Christ Jesus is a continuation of the bloodline of Abraham from the standpoint of the promises. Abraham's covenant was unconditional. God chose to bless Abraham. He said, I consider you, I reckon you as righteous. He wasn't righteous, but unconditional with no conditions at all, in spite of the fact that he had lied, he had, he had other things that he had done. Unconditionally, God said, you're righteous. The moment that we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, unconditionally, because of the blood of Christ, you and I are righteous. Not just simply considered righteous. We become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Why? Because of what Jesus did for us. And within that righteousness, that unconditional righteousness, you see, sometimes we get caught up and we, we think we're righteous because we've been good enough. Ain't gonna happen. Don't care how good you think you may be, you ain't good enough. Because it was based upon our righteousness, we would never qualify. Because we would never be good enough if there were conditions, but it was unconditional. The moment that we received Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that blood washed us, it cleansed us, it relieved us of all sin, unrighteousness, and we became the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so, just as with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant, it was unconditional, so it is with us. And this I say, that the law, you know, people say, well, you know, Abraham kept the law. He cut enough. It wasn't given. Abraham was never under the law. The law was given long after Abraham was gone. Listen to this. It says it right here. And this I say, to the law, which was 430 years after, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God in Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. In other words, the law could not make the promise of no effect. You know, if we read all of Galatians, that's exactly what Paul is dealing with the church in Galatia about. 
He went to the church in Galatia. He preached the gospel of grace to them. They received the gospel of grace, Jew and Gentile alike. They were eating together. They were fellowshipping with one another. But then the pillars of the church from Jerusalem, they come down and they begin to preach. And what they begin to preach is that grace is not enough. You've got to keep circumcision. You have to do this. You have to do the other thing. And so what happened is the grace of God which brought unity to the church. All at once there was division because of the law. And why was there division because of the law? Because the Jews would no longer eat with the Gentiles. They began to separate themselves from the Gentiles because of the law. You know, it's an interesting thing about the law. You would think the law, in, in, in its old sense, it would have. But you would think the law would produce humility. Because when the law is used in its proper intent, it humbles us. The law reveals to us that we are a sinner in need of the grace of God. That there's absolutely nothing that I can do in my own strength and my own ability to save myself. No matter how hard I try to be good, I mess up time and time again. But when the law isn't used in the proper context, it begins to produce pride. It begins to produce separation. It begins to produce this attitude that I'm better than you because I may not be perfect, but I'm sure better than you. Well, that's not good enough. You have to be perfect, and none of us are perfect. Be therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. None of us qualify. And so God loved us unconditionally, and he gave us that promise, all the way back with the Abrahamic promise, an unconditional promise, that he wanted to pour out his blessings upon us. But you know what's interesting about that is that man just totally walked away from it. And so eventually what happened is he brought the law and the law was to show man that he had a need of a savior. That he couldn't do it on his own. And so Jesus comes, he, he dies, he's buried, he's resurrected from the dead, he ascends into heaven on the right hand of Father God making intercession for us. And he in a sense, only more powerfully reestablished that Abrahamic covenant. Only now, instead of just simply being upon the bloodline of Abraham, it's the bloodline of God. It's Jesus himself that poured out his blood so that we might have life and that we might have it so much more abundantly. Verse 19. What purpose then does the law serve? It was added because of transgression. It was added because of transgression. It was added because of not doing the right thing. We saw things happening. We saw murders. We saw people 
acting unbecomingly. We see Sodom and Gomorrah. We see all those things taking place. And so the law was given because of transgression till the seed till implies a time period. The law was given till Everybody say till. Till the seed was given. Now the seed, singular, goes back to Abraham. That the promise was giving, given to Abraham and his seed. And that seed was looking forward to Christ. And so the promise has been given to Abraham and to his Seed, till the seed should come to whom the promise was made and it was appointed through angels by the hand of a mediator. Now a mediator does not mediate for one only, but for God. Is the law then against the promise of God? Certainly not. For if there had not been a law given, which would have been <clears throat> given, which could have given life, truly righteousness could not have been by the law. But the scripture has confirmed all under sin that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might be given to those who believe. And so even though we are not a physical seed of Abraham. We are of the seed of Abraham because we're in Christ Jesus. Yes. And because we're in Christ Jesus, the unconditional promise to Abraham, the unconditional promises that have been revealed to us through the new covenant, they belong to us. Because of Christ Jesus. Now why is this so important? It's so important because if I don't know this, I can't walk in it. And if I can't know it and walk in it, I can't, I can't give it to you. I can't share it with somebody else. I can't reveal it to somebody else that this is what's available to you in Christ Jesus. You know, the Bible talks about having a form of godliness, but denying the power therein. And so we can, we can talk about God, we can, we can talk about spiritual things, but if I don't know what Jesus has done within my life, I deny the power therein, which can make a difference not only in my life, but in the life of everybody that I come in contact with. The seed. But the scripture has confirmed all under sin, which is everybody, that the promise by faith in Christ Jesus might give to those who believe. Even though we were a sinner, we're not a sinner any longer because of what 
Jesus has done for us. I want you to hear this. This is, this is, this is Old Testament. But still applies to us today. Numbers 23.8 says, How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? You're not cursed of God. Remember when I was in Bible school, we had a young lady that was living with us and and one time when we were gone and the kids were home and there, she and her boyfriend were supposed to be watching the kids. And anyway, some stuff went on that I didn't approve of. And so <clears throat> I banned her boyfriend from our house. You know, and so she, he could come and pick her up and go. I, I didn't have authority over that. I just had authority over my house. I said, you're not coming here anymore. Bye-bye, Charlie. And, uh, and so, I mean, when I informed him of that, he was real mature and spun out of my driveway and shot gravel all over the place. And, but anyway, at that time, I had a, a 63 Corvair. Some of the young ones looking around thinking, what in the world is a 63? Uh, it was a hot car. <laughs> no, it wasn't had the engine in the back, and it was just a, it was, anyway, I had a 63 Corvair. And uh, <clears throat> didn't have a gas gauge. And so, you know, in some of those older cars, what they did, they didn't have a gas gauge, but they had an auxiliary tank. So you're supposed to be able to just flip the switch. And Well, my auxiliary tank didn't work. And so I just had the gas gauge. And so I'd gone to church one Sunday, and and uh, on the way home, I ran out of gas. And so I had to pull over to the side of the road. And this guy that I'd banned <clears throat> from my house drove by. And he had this huge smile on his face. And, and he had told somebody that, you know, the reason that that happened was, you know, I spoke a curse over Pastor Dave. You know, I heard that and I just, I just started to laugh. Because I thought, you can't, you can't curse what God has already blessed. It, it's, it's an absolute impossibility. Let me tell you something. You can't be cursed. The only way any curse can come upon your life is if you receive it. And the only way that you'll receive it is because you don't know that you've been already blessed. And so I heard that and I, <clears throat> I literally laughed out loud. I thought, you know, I don't, I don't think he could curse a fly. You know, there's so much power in his life. You know, but, but I laughed about it because you can't curse when God has already blessed. You're blessed. Amen. You're blessed. You need to recognize that you're blessed. And that, that stuff that's coming against you that appears to be a curse, you need to rise up and say, No! In Jesus' name, I am redeemed from that. But you know what? Ignorance will get you in a lot of trouble. I can remember when Pastor Becky and I first started to hear about the curses and stuff out there. And, and uh, 
Nicole had this horrible cough. Every night she'd cough. And we're laying in bed and we're just convinced as the devil is a curse. And so we went into the bedroom and don't, don't be as stupid as I was, okay? You know, before you do some of this stuff, come and talk to me and I'll try to cast the stupidity out of you so you don't do what I, I did. You know, but we didn't know any better. So we went in there and we, we laid hands on her and we prayed for her and cast that cough spirit out of her in Jesus' name. We went back, we're laying in bed and oh, once I felt Becky getting a little closer to me. Then a little closer. And she finally leans over and she says, where do devils go when they go out of somebody? And I says, well, I don't know. And so we're laying there and thinking, I wonder if it's floating around this room or, you know. And all of a sudden, Nicole coughed and we relieved, you know, because it's still there. You know, not, but see, we're ignorant. You can't, you can't curse what God has already blessed. You know, and so the enemy wants to lie to you. He wants to tell you, you've got a curse in your life. You've got a, you've got a generational curse in your life. And I believe there is such a thing. It's known as a familiar spirit. But you know what? If that thing tries to manifest in your life, it's deceiving you, you take authority over it in Jesus' name. You don't deal with, you don't, you don't put up with that stuff. You know, there's so much stuff that we put up with. And oftentimes we do it out of ignorance. Because we don't know what Jesus has truly done for each and every one of us. Well, we need to know. Isaiah 54, 17, it says, no weapon. Everybody say, no weapon. I assume when it says no weapon, it means there is not a weapon. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Every tongue raised against you in judgment shall be condemned. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. And so we are servants of the Lord. Our righteousness comes from him. It isn't based on our abilities, our actions. Reading on in Galatians 3, verse 23. But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. The law had to be given. Because without it, people are completely out of control. We get irritated with the laws of the land. But could you imagine what our land would be like if there were no laws? I mean, there, there's enough stuff going on. But if there were no barriers, if there were no boundaries. And so it says, but before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law. Kept in check. Kept for the faith which would afterwards be revealed. Therefore, the law, hear this, and I don't understand why people don't hear this. Therefore, the law was our tutor 
to bring us to Christ. That we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we're no longer under a tutor. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ, and this isn't talking about water baptism. This is talking about the moment that you're born again, you're immersed into Christ. And so, for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. We have any that have been baptized into Christ here this morning. I'm one of those. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heir according to the promise. Every one of us. Doesn't matter what your heritage is. Doesn't matter what race we are. Doesn't matter what sex we are. We are one in Christ Jesus. As my grandfather said, doesn't matter what title is over the door. As long as you're preaching Christ and he crucified. So it doesn't matter what division we're a part of. We're in Christ Jesus and we are His. Believing God's promises empower us to, su to succeed and prosper in everything we do. Genesis, the 12th chapter, first through the third verse, says, Now the Lord has said to Abram, this is before he became Abraham, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. That's where my title came from. He said, Abraham, I am going to bless you. And as a result of me blessing you, you will be a blessing. Sons of God, He has blessed you. And as a result of His blessing upon your life, you are now equipped, empowered to be a blessing. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In you, speaking of Abraham, speaking of the seed, in us, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Blessed there in its context is to empower to succeed and prosper. 
Because God's blessing is upon you. You are empowered to succeed and prosper in every area of your life. We immediately hear that and we think of money. It's talking about every area of your life. You are empowered to be successful and to prosper. The word curse there in its context means to empowered to fail. Some of you have spoken that over yourself. I don't know why it is, I just can't succeed in everything that I do. Everything that I do, it just, I just falls apart. I don't know what it is. You've, allow, you've allowed the enemy to be empowered to bring curse into your life. It's not God's will. It's not God's plan. Because what he brought into your life is blessing. Empowered you to be successful and prosper. And so we need to refocus. We need to rethink. We need to change our confession and begin to declare who we are in Christ Jesus. In Ephesians 1.3, you're all familiar with this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has, past tense, blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. Every blessing is upon your life in Christ Jesus. And we need to come to the place where we recognize this because we've been born again. Psalms 115, verse 8. I'm going to read verse 8 through verse 15. It says, Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Abram or of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless the house who fear the Lord, both small and great. May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. What's all that say? The Lord blesses you. He empowers you. And that blessing not only empowers us to succeed, there's a protection that we experience when we're in Him. We need to take off the limits and say in Him we can do all things. Religion <clears throat> teaches oftentimes that lack and insufficiency is a sign of humility. No, it just simply means you don't have enough. Right. Humility has nothing to do with it. True humility is saying about yourself what God says about you. And he says he desires for you to prosper. He says you're a new creation. He says old things have passed away, all things have become new. He says that you are the righteousness of God.
in Christ Jesus. You know, when Jesus showed up, he brought increase and multiplication. When you and I show up, it ought to bring increase. It ought to bring multiplication in everything that we do, in the lives of everybody that is around us. You know, blessing isn't just simply for me. It's for everybody around us. And so as we're blessed, what happens is it allows those around us to be blessed. Again, I want to repeat, whenever Jesus showed up, he brought increase and he brought multiplication. I'm going to read just a few passages to you in closing. These just talk about when Jesus showed up. You know, I'm so thankful for Paul, the Apostle Paul, and the Apostle Peter, the Apostle John, the books that they gave us, the things that we can study. But you know, ultimately, they're not the ones I follow. I follow them, as Paul said, as they follow Christ. So ultimately, our example is Jesus. Kenneth Copeland, years and years back, he about got crucified for something he said. He said, we all ought to be like little Jesuses running around. And he says, oh, he's, he's saying, we're all gods, we're all Jesus. No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying, in our life, in what we do, we ought to be doing the works of Jesus. And in this context, just as Jesus, every place that he went, there was, there was increase and there was multiplication. Every place that we go in the lives of the individuals that we touch, there ought to be increase and there ought to be multiplication. John 21, verse 5 and 6. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said, Cast the net under the right side of the boat, and you'll find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw in because of the multitude of the fish. Increase. Multiplication because Jesus showed up. You know, it's interesting. Jesus, our supernatural God, operated so often through something in the natural. Here he used something natural. Cast your nets on the right side of the boat. Obey where they hadn't caught anything all night long. And they brought in their nets. And they had a great multitude of fish. John, the sixth chapter, in the 11th verse. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to his disciples. And the disciples, to those sitting down, likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted 
So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Aren't you glad that God's not wasteful? Therefore they gathered them up and he filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Again, he takes something natural and he multiplies it so that he can meet the needs of those around him. John, the second chapter, verse 3. Jesus' first miracle. And when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Verse 7. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them to the brim. Now, <clears throat> got to understand something about these water pots. These water pots were not their drinking water. This was the water that they used to wash everybody's feet when they came in. Jesus said, fill the water pots and fill them to the brim. Verse 9. When the master of the feast had tasted the wine that was, the water that was made wine, and did not know where it came from, I'll bet he didn't. But the servant who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom and he said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the good wine. When the guests have well drunk, then the inferior, but you've kept the good wine until now. Notice Jesus never had a poverty mentality. I think oftentimes in the church we have a poverty mentality, especially when it comes to our giving. Because after it's old and wore out and I don't want it anymore, then I'll give it to somebody rather than take them out and buy them something new. Jesus gave better than what they had had. And then finally, Matthew, the 17th chapter, and the 27th verse. Nevertheless, lest we offend them, talking about paying their temple tax, go to the sea, cast in a hook, and take the fish that comes up first. And when you have opened its mouth, you will find a piece of money. Take that and give it to them for you and for me. Isn't it interesting that Jesus never neglected his responsibilities and obligations? He never did as the Religious people did and said, well, you know, I'd take care of mom and dad, but, you know, we, we gave all our money to the church. They used a religious 
experience or a religious excuse to not do what was expected and required of them. Our God has brought blessing into our lives so that we could fulfill our responsibilities. But not only that, that we would have more than enough, that we might be a blessing to others. That everybody that we come in contact with, their life is better off because they've experienced us in their life. Oftentimes, it's just the opposite. That ought not to be the case. Let's be a blessing. Why? Because we are so blessed. Why are we so blessed? Because we are in Jesus. And every one of his promises are yes and amen. They've been fulfilled to you and I unconditionally. The only hindrance is for us not to know and not to believe. We know, we believe, therefore we act in Jesus' name. So Father, we thank you this morning for the power of your spirit that resides within us. That we no longer have the tutor of the law to lead us and to guide our life. We have you, O Holy Spirit, living within us to give us direction in life, to guide us. And we're so grateful. May you lead us into all truth that these principles that have been revealed to us in the Word would not just be some information that we receive, but it might be those truths that we apply in our life to experience the fullness which you've made available to us. And so, Father, we thank you today, and we give you all the praise and the honor and the glory through Jesus, because you've done it all. And we thank you for it. Amen. So as you go, go in his peace, his strength, his love. Go in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, in the magnificent name of Jesus. Amen. Give somebody a hug. Let them know you love them.